Welcome to Liberty Station, where we are a threat to the Great Reset. This is a special episode that I'm introducing here. Um, This is going to be a speech that Congressman Bob McEwen gave in Israel to our group of travelers over there. Rob, uh, Pastor Rob took a whole group of about 100 over there, and um, we recorded Bob delivering a talk that was absolutely beautiful. He is one of the, um, I think, wisest men in America, six-term congressman, background in economics and history, and there is almost no one better to express the fact that the more liberty we have, the more prosperity, the more government we have, the more poverty. So enjoy this episode with Congressman Bob McEwen. One of the greatest struggles of this man was my mentor, and I mean that with all my heart, soul, strength. He's my mentor. God bless me with a precious man. You're going to hear him speak tonight. I told you this before that you're going to say, You stole that from Bob. I want to make that record clear. I stole it from him. Um, When I met Mike Huckabee, I didn't realize a pastor could be in politics. And Mike was helpful, encouraging. But it was Bob McEwen who articulated the political side for me to be able to articulate it myself when I ran for office because I didn't know my elbow from my earlobe. And, and for him to take the complex and make it simple, nobody does it better. His biggest weakness is his humility. And I know you're going, wait, what? And I'm just telling you, he's afraid to repeat things because think, he thinks you've heard it before. How many of you have heard my story before? Please raise your hand. Tell us again, Daddy. You guys haven't written down last number 11? And from now on, I'll be in the sermon. I'm going, number 11, you'll laugh. 12, you'll cry. Um, what he doesn't realize, he does know it, but in this humility, he wants to make sure that he's completely prepared. And his weakness is my strength. I've never been prepared. <laughs> I procrastinated in college. I had never read a full book or done a term. My senior year, I plagiarized my final test. I'm, I'm coming clean. <laughs> and I did it on eschatology. <laughs> and I passed. And I had to be, you know, challenged and reviewed and go before a board and I still pulled it off. I called it. I resolved it, but that being said, I majored, I majored in eligibility. I was an athlete, and it wasn't until the Lord got a hold of my heart that I ever began to read. I couldn't get enough of the Bible, and history was God's redemptive thread of, of moving in the affairs of men. And the ones we, we remember are either the heinous ones who enslaved or the brave ones who set free. And, and I remember hearing David Barton and him giving a, a realm of history I'd never heard before. I felt like I got ripped off in high school. And, and all these men were articulate. And, and listening to David Bart, Barton speak, it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. He's so fast, he's throwing stuff out at you. <laughs> but then as I was at one of these American Room projects, they introduced a term congressman from Ohio who was slated to be Speaker of the House. Uh, and, and by redistricting and gimmicks that happened in politics, uh, it just, it was awful what they did to him. And I probably would have never met him because he was on a trajectory that I would have been in his rearview mirror. Now I know that this is painful, but I'm glad God did that to you. Because he's been such a great blessing to this country. And, he's, and as, as Charlie Kirk says, he's the most underutilized asset in America. When I told Charlie my secret, Bob McEwen, he can't get enough of me. Everything he's written, everything he's preached that's that's been recorded, I've listened to. Everything. And I still can't get enough of it. And the principles, when I was in the taxi with Billy, the taxi driver in London, I was was channeling Bob McEwen. And I brought him to Christ through political discussion and history. Things with you, maybe you've heard them before, but listen if something isn't learned, it hasn't been.
And, and all of you have heard my stories, but now you can teach them and you find yourself using them. They're yours. If the bullet fits in your gun, shoot it. Well, not a good thing. Nobody has to say something like that. I'm going to get out of the way. Put your seatbelts on. You're about to hear from a man who has the butter voice and, and, and the grasp of history like none other. Please welcome him. the best. He just, Rob just goes around doing good for everybody and everything. And, uh, and uh, people like Charlie Kirk, who is, gets phone calls every day from former presidents and future presidents and everybody else, he, but he relies on Rob. Rob is the, is the anchor because he understands the spiritual and the political and uh, lives it. And all of us rely upon him. And all he does is go around and just butter other, other people up. But uh, all of us are, are going in his wake. And and this trip, I've, I've been to, well, Liz and I came on our honeymoon to, to Israel, and, uh, <clears throat> and we, so we've been here with lots of folks. But Rob has the understanding and, and the comprehension to make the stories interesting, to understand how they apply today, and, and uh, I'm just, uh, we're all glad to be on this trip. Let's just uh, make it, uh, what I'm going to do is maybe 15 or 20 minutes to talk a little bit about America, and then uh, it should have sparked a question or two someplace in there, and hopefully then uh, we, can, we can proceed. But uh, there's only, uh, when 1776, they started out with this idea. They read the Bible, and they said that God had made man, and he was accountable to God, didn't have to go through anybody else. King James anticipated that was going to happen, and so he tried to revise the Bible a little bit to say, no, 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 divine right of kings. But the Americans started reading it and said, no, no, we don't have to go through people. And so they, they wrote a document that slavery was ubiquitous, had been since Adam and Eve in the garden, all the way up till one day, July 4th, 1776. We hold these truths to be self-evident, which is a gracious way of saying any idiot ought to understand this. <laughs> you be, you be, this is self-evident, you blind, deaf, and dumb, bozo. You ought to be able to see that all men are created. They didn't just crawl out of the primordial slime and say, let's write a symphony. You know, all men were created equal and endowed by a five to four decision of the Supreme No, were endowed <laughs> by their creator. So where did rights come from? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not thing made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, so what, what is the Word or the flesh? Those are all synonyms. So man is endowed by Jesus Christ. Man is endowed by God. Man is endowed by his Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among those are life. Say, well, no, 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 I don't want government involved in the bedroom. This is between a woman and her doctor. <laughs> You're in the wrong country, honey, because it says right there in our birth certificate to preserve these rights, life, then liberty. Notice the sequence. Liberty is of precious little value if you're dead. So you have to have life first, then liberty, then sewer systems and overpasses. But the first thing you do is, is life. And, and that is the purpose. Of, and no other government ever did that. No, only America. And so when you have a right to ask the guy running for sheriff or running for school board, where do you stand on life? Well, now, that's none of my business. I don't decide that because I'm just sitting on No, no. If you're in government in America, the purpose of the United States government is, number one, to protect life, then liberty, and then the responsibilities of government. That makes it unique. That meant that Jews could be chased from all over the world. They knew that if they could get under the canopy of protection of the American flag, they would be safe. No other nation ever did that. More Jews live in America than the rest of the world combined, by the way. And so what we did is, was a place for, for safety. Now, if you do it God's way, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Righteousness exalted the nation. Sin, what is sin? Sin is anything that separates us from God. Sin, when it's conceived, bringeth forth death. The wages of sin is death. So when we do it Satan's way, it dies, but I'm come that you might have life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He, he that hath the Son hath life. And so we chose to do it God's way with life. Now, that is a spiritual battle. That's a spiritual battle. So how does Satan operate this? He doesn't just come up to, up to Eve and say, you know, that God, he thinks he's really something. Well, I'm the smartest one around. You should listen to me. No, no. He knows how to appeal, make one wise, make one like God, no difference between good and evil. He knows how to appeal. To, and so he goes to the seminaries, and he sells the pastors for the last 40 years. You know this lighthouse for the gospel, the United States of America? This place where 85, you take all the money that goes for global evangelism from the entire planet, and you put it in a pile. 
and you increase it three, four, five and a half times, that's still not as much as this little 4% of the population of the world called Americans. That's what they do. So if you want to shut down this lighthouse for the gospel more than all the rest of the world can buy, here's how you do it. So convince the pastors to say, you know, when, when you get behind that pulpit, you know, the, there, Satan's going to come and he'll try to get your eyes off of Christ. And, and they'll want you to get involved in other things, like we get involved in politics or get involved in city councils. And but you've got, you got to ignore all that. Now, that sounds noble. It's the same thing as what the pastors did in, in Germany in the 1930s when the, when the rail cars were going by hauling the Jews. We need to just keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to focus on that. And the truth of the matter is, so I, I use now when I'm talking to pastors, I said, suppose that the city council is going to have an eminent domain hearing in which they're going to turn your church into a parking lot, because they have the authority to do that, by the way. And if they vote to do that, and so what you want to do is get the people in your church involved. We need to go to the city council meeting, and we need to tell them as to what we do for the community and to make our pitch. And you talk to the little fourth grade boys Sunday school teacher. Well, I don't get involved in that. God called me to work with these young men, and I don't do the politics. You do, I don't, I don't, city councils, that's not what I, I was called to focus on. And you just want to grab them by the lapels and say, son, you know if this church goes down the tube, your Sunday school class is going with it. You got that in your head there? <laughs> you, you, you understand? If this country goes down the tube, your church is going to be closed up. Don't be lecturing me about you got your eyes on Jesus. You're going to be sitting there quoting scriptures in the, in the prison or, or else dead unless you get involved in this. And so this nation was involved doing spiritual things God's way. And what happened? What happened? This, his, so George Washington, they signed, the, they signed the declaration, wrote the birth certificate, went out. <clears throat> we didn't have a country, didn't have, a, didn't have an army. Uh, took on the richest, most powerful nation on earth, but uh, we meant well, and uh, it didn't go so good. And so by, by the end of the year, they had not a single victory, and they were about to fall apart. Started out with 45,000, 25,000 men, 20,000 volunteers. They'd all deserted or were dead or, or uh, had disease. Until now, he's down to 7,500. It's the last week of the year. It's Christmas time. And the only reason these guys are hanging around in 1776 was because their enlistment was up on January 1st. And there's no point in me quitting now. I mean, that'd be dumb. So I'm going to suffer through the snow here until finally we do something. So his prayer partner and good friend Benjamin Rush came down from New York and he said, you know, George, if we don't get a victory, uh, this isn't going to go so good. We need to do something. So what are we going to do? And so they decided that they would go down the river, cross the Delaware on Christmas Eve, and attack at dawn the Haitian soldiers that were camped there for the winter. They had enough supplies and ammunition and goods that could supply an whole, a whole army. And so he uh, said, how many of you can stand? Only about 2,500 of them could stand. And then a fellow by the name of Thomas Paine had written a book, written a column on the 23rd. He said, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier will run. And so... George Washington had that read to him the next day on the 24th. But, uh, and then Benjamin Rush's his, his, uh, watchword was, liber was victory or death. This is it. If there's going to be a United States of America, we're going to have to do this. And if not, we're going to die trying. And then George Washington said this, and it's reporting the whole story. He said, uh, post none but Americans on guard Tonight. Whoa, 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 whoa. I thought you had a birth certificate that made you American. I mean, he wears the uniform. No, no. And George Washington's opinion, being an American was not physical, it was spiritual. It's what you stand for and what you believe in. He didn't care what you carried around in your pocket. To be an, an American is not physical. You, you and I can't become Japanese or Chinese, but anybody can become an American. Because when they, at the Olympics, when they say diving for, for Finland, you have some idea what the person's going to look like, or S Somalia, or, or China. But when they say diving for the United States, you don't have a clue what they're going to look like, because being an American is not physical. Being an American is spiritual. And we hold these truths, we, endowed, we rely upon him, and what happened? What happened to that nation? Well, it defeated the strongest nation on earth, and then it proceeded to set an example for the world. So... Uh, half of all the people on earth live on less than two and a half dollars a day. Left, half of those live on less than half of that. 
Yeah, in America, we have a level below which we will not permit a person to sink. You come to this country, sit down, come down to America, sit down on a park bench, gripe and complain about the things. We will bury you with stamps for food, a roof over your head, a bed to sleep, unlimited health care, unlimited education for you and anybody you've ever met, uh, unlimited uh, cable, uh, te uh, telephones. A, a person living in poverty in America, this isn't my idea. This is done by the Wall Street Journal and the, and the Heritage Foundation. It's called the Robert Rector Study. He's, he's, he's done it for his entire life. It's now 37 years. It reports every, every, two, every 24 months. A person living in poverty in America. Let's just go back a little bit. The second richest spot on earth is Western Europe, France, Germany, Britain. The rest of the places, um, 91 million Filipinos produce less wealth every year than 3.5 million Oklahomans. Uh, and we love in America, we love to talk about poverty, you know, so what's the best place for poverty? Well, go to Arkansas and take black and white pictures of people sitting on the porch and in the Ozarks and say, isn't this terrible the way this country? The sixth richest nation, the sixth largest nation on earth, over 250 million people. The GDP of the sixth largest nation on earth is smaller than the state of Arkansas. The entire 140 million Mexicans, lower than the state of Illinois. The list goes on and on and on. If, if Britain were to become a state of the Union, it would be the 49th richest state in America. So our definition of poverty is so skewed that a person living in poverty in America is more likely to have a telephone, television, air conditioner, an automobile, eats more meat, has more square foot, why does that mean? That means protein, has more square footage space than the average resident of the second richest spot on earth Western Europe. Of course, the question would be, why? And the, it was important that we have the answer to that question, lest we elect people who want to fundamentally change America, and, uh, and there's no place else for us to go. America, by doing things economically, but also it stands spiritually. There can only be one nation, the one most powerful nation on Earth. For Britain, it was 250 years, up until 1947. In April of 1947, America became the most powerful leading nation on Earth. Now, prior to that, prior to World War II, everybody knows Pearl Harbor, it started in 1942. America had the 17th largest army in the world, smaller than Romania, smaller than Portugal. Why? Because we were not world players. Britain was the one that ruled Britannia. Britannia rules the waves. So they controlled whether or not things were going to be free. They controlled Gibraltar and Suez, which controlled everything in the Mediterranean Sea. They controlled, they controlled Singapore, which controlled the South China Sea. They were the ones that did it. When they went down, then they had a choice in the world for the first time. In my study of history, never has a nation become the premier nation on earth, but what it didn't seek it. It spent years getting there and knew what it had to do to stay there, with a single exception of the United States of America after World War II that had leadership thrust upon it. And never in the history of mankind has a nation shed blood and toil for the freedom of another and never ask anything in return, except the United States of America. I was on the Veterans Affairs Committee and was addressing the parliament in Seoul and pointing out that in South Korea, now that the World War II veterans have passed away, all of our parents, <laughs> I was talking to our kids the other day, we're talking about the World War II veterans when we were growing up, the, the, everybody was a World War II veteran. In, in, our, in our parade, uh, in my hometown, we had two people that were in the War of 1898, and then we had, had a lot of the Civil or the First World War people. But World War, no, World War II, we didn't have anybody marching, because <laughs> that was the band director and your dad and the policeman and, and the principal. Everybody was a World War II veteran. Now they've all passed, and now it's the, it's the Korean veteran. And as I told those folks, in dealing with these Korean veterans, Never, all of them who bear in their body, 53,000 dead, all of them bear in their body the pains of war. I've never heard one ever complain about the sacrifice that he made for their freedom. And so Samsung and Kia and, and Hyundai and all these things, all we wanted was for them to be free. No, there's never been a, a nation like that. America is the standard for righteousness in the world. When a ship is attacked on the high seas, as happened over 300 times last year, to whom can they appeal? Only the United States of America. Whether it's a yacht in the Caribbean, or whether it be a trawler in the South China Sea, or whether it be an oil tanker in the British fleet in the Straits of Hormuz. This place that ruled the world, ruled the waves for 
250 years, but when their tanker gets stuck, to whom can they call? Only the 327,000 Americans who wear the uniform of the United States Navy. That's the standard of righteousness. That's the protection. That's what keeps everybody safe. And we know that we, everybody will be treated fairly. We don't, people of this planet at the moment don't recall what it's like when the most powerful nation on earth is not righteous. And if our dear friends that are so offended, the leaders of our nation, such as Madeleine Halfbright, who just passed away, regularly spoke about having, having multipolar world, if, if China controls the South China Sea, which is on their border, from which 60 to 70% of all maritime traffic passes, and they say to Japan, fourth largest economy in the world, imports all of their oil, unless you pay a 15% duty, you're, you're not going to come through here unless you break relations with Israel. You break relations. So now they're going to say all of our cars are going to be more expensive, our life, just because of that. When you have a despotic ruler, the evil is unlimited. We have people in this country that are willing to voluntarily put ourselves under their thumb. They want America to have batteries driving their cars. Our current president, the man who occupies the White House, he said that he now is in the process of making the U.S. military electric. Now, has anybody ever had electric clippers? Has anybody ever had electric anything? Now, can you imagine going to war with tanks? You'd have to have, you'd have, to have batteries twice as large as the tanks and long extension cords because those things run out. Anybody see the movie Patton? You remember, you remember when, he, when he went out there and he said, what is the holdup here? The, people, the, the, the Nazis were scraping his lines. He comes up and finds out that there was a, there was a wagon with two... With two uh, Donkeys on the island, and the Americans on the bridge didn't want to shoot him. He, he goes up there and shoots them, dumps the box. You've got a whole line at the mercy of, of, of two donkeys. What's the matter with you guys? Well, imagine taking an entire force for eight hours, sitting there for eight and a half. We're going to recharge now. All of our armored personnel carriers are going to come in. You think of it, and yet you and I know people who voted to do that to our country. Now, when you do things God's way, he blesses. And for thousands of years, people would hope to someday fly. But it was Americans. And when I do this, I say, Bob, how do you know all this? I'm just going to do the Ohioans. It was, You're from Ohio. Yeah, I'm from Ohio. Good point. Good point. <laughs> so I took Ohio history. And so I know that the airplane was invented by Ohioans, by the Wright brothers, and the, and the wheels on the... The tires were invented by Charles Goodyear from Akron, Ohio, and, and, and Harvey Firestone, and her, her father was one of the plant managers in, in Akron, the rubber capital of the world. Uh, people would hope someday Americans invented the airplane and the light bulb from Milan, Ohio, and the, and the, and the telegraph, and the television. And as I, I say, a Mercedes dealer in Buenos Aires ordering a part from Stuttgart, Germany, using an internet conceived, invented, maintained by Americans. Uh, yeah, what's that? Not Al Gore. Not, yeah, not Al Gore. He, somebody drank my water, I think. Uh, 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 yeah, I, I thought I brought it with me. Or the, the uh, you know, all over the world, the, the socialist countries in Africa have let their air traffic control system atrophy. And so all the planes now use a global positioning system conceived, invented, and maintained by... There are ships parking in Hong Kong and Singapore at this very moment using a global positioning system conceived and invented by Americans. More inventions than the rest of the world, more books, more plays, more symphonies, more copyrights than the rest of the world combined. And you have to ask, why? Why? Are we smarter than anybody else? No. Do we work harder? Nope. We're freer. We're freer. More Nobel Prize winners than the rest of the world combined, but half of those were not born in America. Now, what happened? Did they suddenly get smart when they got to America? Nope, they got free. So you try to tell me that a 1.4 billion uh, uh, Chinese, 1.2 billion Indians, there's never been one Thomas Edison? I promise you, there have been lots of them. But when you don't have the freedom to save and invest and produce, then you, you're stuck getting enough food to survive. And that's what you got to do first. You got to do food, clothing, shelter. So 
South Korea, as Rob was mentioning the other night. South Korea, 10th largest GDP in the world. North Korea, in the last decade, 10%, 6 million people, 10% of the population of North Korea starved to death. They eat sticks and, and wheat leaves to fill up their stomachs. And uh, they, they continue to shrink. So America recognizing that if we put ourselves at the mercy of batteries, the Chinese are not dumb. Unlike the people we send to Washington, they're not stupid. And so they say, look at those crazy Americans. They're going to make everybody dependent on batteries. Why don't we go out and get 85% of all of the, of the strategic metals necessary to make a battery, and then they won't rely upon Saudi Arabia. They'll rely upon us, and we'll decide whether or not they can have a battery. And, they, and they, they, then they dump money into colleges to teach these little kids to come back and tell you that having a battery to run something. And, and <laughs> the senator yesterday tweeted from, from Michigan, pointed out, she said now that she has her electric car, she makes obscene gestures at the gas tank as she goes by. Now, and, and yet everyone in this room knows that, that electricity doesn't come out of a plug. It comes from a power plant. And a power plant burns coal or oil or natural gas. And then having done that in East Bejesus, they then have to transport it everywhere and lose 70% of it to get to the plug so you can sit your car there all night long for eight and a half hours, whereas you could have just taken the natural gas or the oil and delivered it right there and everybody would have been happy. We could have gotten a maximum benefit out of it. But instead, this idea that somehow or another we're going to clean up the environment because rather than having it come out of the tailpipe and, and, and little, we're going to have these big power plants everywhere, it just, you know, brains are helpful uh, in, in these kinds of things. And, and when we have a little, so two quick things. Politics is, we only vote on two things. There's two dials. There's two dials. And I, I use the term, an acronym, PI, because it's easy to understand. Politics equals integrity plus economics. The only thing you vote on is the integrity of the person and the economic program that they're going to have. And I'll give you the bottom line is this. The higher the integrity, that is, the more I can look you in the eye, shake your hand, and keep your word, the higher the integrity, and the lower the burden of government, the greater the wealth. The lower the integrity, the more bars I have to put on the window, the more people I have to bribe to get a permit, the, the, the more et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the, more, the thicker the contract has to be because I can't trust you. And all. The, more, the lower the integrity and the higher the burden of government, the greater the poverty. Period, end of discussion. That's all you need to know to vote. And so politics is a simple question of where do we go on those two levels. And America was found with righteousness. That is, that everybody knew when you came here, even if you, you couldn't fulfill your, your contract financially, you did it out of integrity just because you, you kept your word. That's what made people want to come here. Every place else, every place else, you put a factory in, in Nigeria, you have to have guards all around, and then you have to have guards to guard the guards, and then you have to have your own railroad, and you have to people to guard the railroad as it goes, and then you have to bribe people for 100 years to get it loaded onto a ship. And so the reason that these countries are poor with their abundant natural resources, Liz, Liz likes jewelry on occasion. And uh, they, they, Malachite, you know, Malachite in Kinshasa. You walk down the streets and Malachite is in the, is in the sidewalk. They got a bunch, those nations are overflowing with natural resources, but they're as corrupt as can be and therefore they're in poverty. And if you, and if you do it that way, you can, you can destroy anything. Then the other dial is, is the taxes. That is, the more I take away from you, the, poor, the worse off you are. And uh, so when I was in the state legislature in Ohio, um, we were number one in new job creation, more than number one out of 50 states. And we elected the governor said, we can put a stop to this. And so <laughs> it began to increase. And so for the last three governors, we've been either 49 or 48 or 47th because we, we have destroyed, destroyed the idea of creating jobs. So how does it work? Let me just touch on that for a second and then let, let's go to questions. Picture. Picture a chart with zero to 100. And say that chart represents a $100 bill or 100% of the income of any city or state or a nation. And if it represents a $100 bill, let's say if you go into a Walmart and the most expensive thing in the store is $99, that means that you're completely free to choose anything. You've got 100, you can choose anything in the store. 
If someone comes along and takes 25% of it away from you, what happens? You have fewer choices. There are certain things you can no longer choose. Thomas Jefferson said freedom is having choices. The more choices I take away from you, the less freedom you have. Anybody that's ever raised a teenager has had this debate. And so, or so instead of, and you have a lower standard of living. The more money I take away from you, you have a lower, unless you're with the New York Times, this would be a profundity to them. But everybody else knows that if I take money away from you, you're worse off, not better. Suppose I take half of it, what happens? Fewer choices, less freedom, lower standard. Suppose it takes 75. Suppose someone comes and takes it all. What's that? That person's called a slave. Now, there are two people that can come and take money away from you. One is called a criminal. He has a gun, and he can come and take money away from you. The other is called a politician, has a gun, and can come and take money away from you. And here's the point. The impact is the same. You go to the pay window. You go out walking across the parking lot. A fellow comes up, puts a gun in your ribs, and says, I want 50% of everything you've got in your hand. You go home, sit down with your wife and children. This is how much money we have for food, clothing, and shelter, the kind of vacations we can take. Or you make it to your pickup. You open up and say, Uncle Sam's already been here. Half of the money's already gone. The impact is the same. So you show me what percentage of the GDP of any city or any state or any nation. And the principle applies. The greater the freedom, the greater the wealth, the greater the government the greater the poverty. And that's why we vote for people who do this. So they can take the fifth largest economy in the world, California, larger than France, who has embassies all over the world, has an army, has a navy. California should be overflowing in money. You got people laying around under there with spray paint and the, the overpasses and the starving everywhere because these people are taking from the productive. And what happens to the productive? They do one of two things. They either quit or leave. And quite frankly, between you and me, that's been an advantage to America. Because these idiots do that in Cuba and, uh, and Venezuela, uh, Broward County, which was solid Democrat. Broward County is overwhelmed with wonderful, God-fearing, hardworking, intelligent Venezuelans that had their country stolen from them. And now they've moved to northern Miami because and that we benefited from when they did that. Now, California is doing it. New York is doing it. Just as a little aside, as this principle, the population of New York and Florida are exactly the same. Exactly the same. Florida is supposed to have passed them in the last couple of months or something. They're the same. The, the size of the government in Albany, New York, state government, and Tallahassee, Florida, the government in New York is exactly twice as high as it is in Florida, twice as much government. So what happens? People flee. And when we elect people to do that, they, we destroy the creation of wealth. I could explain why that's the case. Should I? Okay. 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 People say, "Well, now, Bob, politicians—they—they they do good things. They mean well, and we wouldn't." And 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 they always. What about the schools and the overpasses and the libraries? Yeah, that's three percent of everything else you come up. And you can, every time we come at some crazy program where you're passing out money like cotton candy, then they, you go grab the schools and throw it in front of everybody. Every tax increase is always for the schools. For the schools. That's right. I can tell you in your city. When, when, when the city council, when the left-wing mayor wants to have a pay raise, 13 years from now is going to be for the schools. Just write it down. Uh, it's just, just, the way, just the way that it works. So why is it that that never works? Number one, if, I'm going to buy, if you're going to buy something for yourself, you care about two things, price and quality. And nobody can make that decision as well as you can. You sit there and look at the cost of what it comes to Israel. This is what, what it would mean to me. If I took this trip to Israel, this is what, nobody can judge that for you. And you make that decision for yourself. You stand and look at a car. You say, is this, is this the one I want or why? You look at a shirt. When you're making something for yourself, you care about price and quality. You might pay $4 for a cup of coffee at 7 in the morning, for which you wouldn't pay 50 cents at 2.30 in the afternoon. When it's your money, you care about the price and quality. Now, let's suppose you can't control either one of those two things. Let's suppose you're going to buy something for someone else. In other words, you're not going to consume it, so you don't care about the quality. Do you care about the price? Yep, because you're paying for it. But you're a little more flexible on the quality. And by the time it breaks, they'll be married for three years. They'll forget we gave it to them anyway. This will be fine. We've all bought things for people we never would have bought for ourselves. We've all received things as gifts we never would have bought. But do we care about the price? Yep, because we're paying for it. We're not so concerned about the quality. That's called a second-party purchase. Let us suppose you're going to consume it, but you're not going to pay for it. 
Do you care about the quality? Yep, because you're going to wear it. You're going to eat it. You're gonna... So the waitress comes along and says, you know, would you like to have some orange juice? And you say, well, how much is it? And she says, well, it's, it's three and a half dollars. Mm, nah, I'm fine. I, I don't need orange juice. Oh, you got the pancakes. Well, it comes with the pancakes. You can have, well, in that case, pour away. I'll take three glasses. You, 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 you might, might leave, leave half a glass. You wouldn't if you were paying for it. Do you care about the quality? Yep, because you're consuming it. Do you care about the price? Nope, because you're not paying for it. That's called a second party purchase. Final example. Let us suppose that where you work, everybody that comes to work late has to put $5 in the kitty. And uh, at the end of the month, they take the money and they raffle it off and see who wins. And it's the last day of the month. And the boss says, hey, John, uh, check, see how much money's in the kitty. Buy something with it and, uh, for the end of the day today. So you, you go in and you count out, there's $150. And you go to lunch, you forget all about it. You're coming back. You think, oh, I've got five minutes left. Oh, I was supposed to buy something. And you look around. And there in the store window is a six-foot-tall stuffed frog. And you go over and you check the price, and it says 149 Oh, this is perfect. So you buy the frog, and you take it back, and you shove it in the corner. And at the end of the day, the boss invites everybody down and lectures them about being late. And everybody doesn't listen to towers that. And everybody pulls a number to see who wins, who wins. Sally, the new secretary, wins. What does she win? Open the door. Six-foot-tall frog. Everybody laughs and claps. So whatever. you go out to her car, shove it in the front seat, cheer as she drives through the parking lot. What is that called? That is called a third-party purchase. A third-party purchase is purchasing something with money that's not yours, therefore you don't care about the price. To purchase something you will not personally consume, therefore you don't care about the quality. Now, what I'm about to say is not Democrat, Republican, conservative, Christian, Democrat, labor, this is just the facts, Jack. All government purchases are third-party purchases made with money that's not there to purchase things they will not personally consume. Therefore, will there be waste in the highway department? You betcha. Will there be waste in the defense department? You can count on it. That's why we believe, as Abraham Lincoln said, the government should do only those things which a, government, which a person cannot do better for himself. Why? Because every time we take a dollar from an individual to save and invest and use to the maximum benefit of themselves and their family and run it through a third-party system called government, we're in the process of making the nation poorer. And you show me what percentage of the GDP of any city, the gross domestic product, the goods and services of a country, show me what percentage is skimmed off by government, and the principle applies, the greater the government, the greater the poverty, the greater the freedom, the greater the wealth. And it only works that way every time. When, when Margaret Thatcher took over in Britain, the place was a hellhole. There was garbage in the streets. The, the International Monetary Fund had taken over control of the British pound sterling. They were a third world nothing. What's the first thing that she did? Cut taxes, put money back in people's pockets, where they began to save and invest for themselves. She took a bunch of government nonsense and sold it, let the people own it. She took the council houses where they were living, tearing everything up. She, they said, if you live there for five years, we'll give you a 50% off. Four, four years, you, you get 40% off. Up to, up to 10% off. So that meant you walked into any place, you got 50% net worth. That took it from these places, all of these slums, to people suddenly, the screen doors, instead of complaining because somebody had to come fix it, now they owned it. Flower pots began to appear in the window. They began back on the payroll. They began to the property taxes. People took pride in it. And the revenue came into the government, such that when she left office, Britain was the fourth richest nation on earth. Now, if, if the fourth largest GDP on earth which shows you you can make any rich place poor or any poor place rich, just depending upon who you vote to do this. Now, it took a long time to get stomping on the, 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 the power lines in, in California to get that great, beautiful golden state to start to stumble, but it's, it's getting there. When I was young, the richest spot in the history of the world was a place called Detroit, Michigan. There are more, more three-story single-family dwellings in Detroit, Michigan than any place else in the world. There are 42,000 single-family dwellings that are not uninhabited, are uninhabitable in the city of Detroit. It's the poorest city north of the Rio Grande. Why? Because we elected a racist in 1957 and said, well, we can turn this around and begin to focus on race rather than character. And we've, so if you understand those principles, you can make any rich place poor or any poor place rich. So now that has been entrusted to us, and we are in a position in which we can make a change. The, uh, the very last, the, the third State of the Union address that George Washington gave, the American dollar is one of, one of the reasons for the, rebel, for the Constitution. They lived for 11 years under 13 individual states. Each one had their own monetary system. It wasn't working. Uh, some had debts, some, some didn't. Uh, 
and uh, when they, uh, the main reason was to get a compact where they could financially be free, and do a free enterprise system, and it led into the other things that made it in the Constitution. So in the Constitution, they said, this, the president shall from time to time provide reports on the State of the Union. Washington chose to do it once a year, and it's been the tradition ever since. In his third State of the Union address, he said this. Now remember, the American dollar was worthless. We talk about something not worth a continental. You know what that means. A continental dollar, well, you might as well light a cigarette with it. It wasn't worth a continental. And he said, in the third State of the Union address, he said, the Americans enjoy a level of peace and freedom that hardly could have been hoped for. The American dollar stands at that high precipice that three years ago, it would have been a species of madness to have foretold. In other words, if I would have told you America would have the strongest currency in the world in three years, you would have said I was crazy. That's what George Washington said. What's the point? The point is, you do the wrong thing, you can foul up a great country. But you do the right thing, you can actually restore it. And so we got this guy from, we got this guy from New York who was, a, who was a developer. Now, what does a developer do for a living? A developer sits there at the desk, and they come in every 20 minutes. You can't do that. You can't have electricity for, for six more months. You can't paint it that color. You have to, you can't, if, if you don't use our bricklayers, your wife will be floating in the, in the East River. You know, so, you, you just, so that's what you, in, in, in New York, that's what you get. So he comes to Washington, <laughs> this is a piece of cake. I'm used to dealing with all. And so he just goes back and he says, why don't we just become energy independent? I've said all my life, America could be energy independent anytime we got a leader that wanted to be. We have more oil, more natural gas, barely second in coal. We have more energy than the rest of the world any place. There is no reason on earth for us to go around on our knees because we have politicians, and Donald Trump said, forget that, we're gonna quit it. So he made us within 18 months, we were exporting oil. Instead of sending our dollars and getting oil, we have people who <laughs> sending their money to us. And, and so then China, as I said, not stupid, they figured this thing out. They, had, they could get little pieces. That is, that if they controlled this in the supply chain, then, and so Trump goes up to the folks in Mercedes and said, you idiots, you can't build a Mercedes without their approval. What kind of stupidity is that? And they say, oh, good point. So they start moving their factories into Korea and into, into Vietnam and elsewhere. And he, he does, the, he goes, Samsung, South Koreans. They've hated the Chinese forever. So why are you dependent on these folks? The stock market in China goes down 47%. In four years, he wipes half of the wealth of China off the face of it, and the stock market in America goes up 55%, and we're energy independent. And who likes that? Not the folks that are in the money business. They don't give two hoots about our country, but they love to make that people dependent on as they have those little passageways. Well, that's what is entrusted to us. Half of all evangelicals in America, of the 65 to 85 million of them, half of them are not registered to vote. That is, that they never do vote. Of half of those that are not registered to vote, uh, that are registered, half of them do not vote. Now, on the left, if you're going to get a welfare check, brother, they make sure that you voted at least once. And, and anybody in your family, they've got you registered, and, they, and during the three months that they're getting ready to, to vote, they've they got you lined up continually. Organized labor calls every labor household three times a year. Has anybody turned 18? Has grandma moved in the basement? They've done everything they can do. There's nothing else they can do. But over here is a Vesuvius. Over here is a, is, is a volcano of God-fearing, Bible-believing Americans that have been snookered into sitting around listening to preachers telling happy stories that somehow or another they shouldn't dirty themselves with saving this lighthouse for the gospel. And it just so happens that now people are starting to come around. Liz and I helped start the prayer breakfast in Ukraine nine years ago. I've spoken there every year since. I was supposed to be there last week, but the Zelensky moved it for three more weeks. We were going to, we were going to do it in the, in the subway. When, when we have those prayer breakfasts with presidential prayer breakfasts, I don't care where they are, and I've done somewhere between 20 and 30 countries. They spend time voting for the parliament and voting for the diplomatic corps and voting for the ministry. And half of the time, they always pray for the United States of America because they know if we elect an incompetent name, lame brain, they can lose their country. 
and there's nothing they can do about it. And that's what has been entrusted to us, this lighthouse for the gospel, the standard of righteousness on the planet, and we're going to stand before God and say, nope, nope, I had an Awana meeting. I couldn't, I couldn't be involved in saving the country. And I'm sorry all those people got sold into slavery. And down. I'm not sure God's going to be impressed with that little story. And we've heard it long enough. And now we begin to see what can come. Just stop and think if Stalin would walk down Pennsylvania Avenue and said, I want every church in America closed. Suppose Hitler landed at at Ellis, landed at Ellis Island, pointed that Liberty flag, the Statue of Liberty, and said, I want every church in America shut down next week. Why, we would have gotten all indignant, why we wouldn't. No, no, we did it voluntarily ourselves. Until now, they're going to tell you who, what you can preach, who you can preach to, how many can sit there, and all the rest. And it's, but however, it is in our hands to stop in a New York minute if we want to, and we can, and we will. Amen. God bless. is taking money from poor people in rich countries to give it to rich people in poor countries. And that's uh, just... Foreign aid is taking money from poor people in rich countries and sending it to rich people in poor countries. And, that, and that's why Rand Paul and those people say, you know, let's see where it goes, what are you going to do? And that's what Donald Trump said. He got the president on and, he, he, and he'd been pledged, I forget what it was, a couple, you know, hundred million dollars, a few hundred million dollars. And, and he, he kept putting his finger on it. He said, don't send it, don't send it. So I talked to the guy. When I talked to him, he said, where's it gonna go? They had just given 1.6 billion to him from the, from the IMF. 
Is it international? Okay, international from the IMF. And it all disappeared. And Donald Trump's a businessman. He's not a yo-yo. And so he said, all right, I'm not sending any more money until I know where it goes. And I want him to look me in the eye and tell me. And so that's why he got him on the phone. All right, where's it going to go? What are you going to do? Okay, that money that disappeared. I want you to look into that too and talk to our Justice Department and find out anything you find out. I want you to talk to them about it because that's the way America works. But brother, he poked Donald Trump poked his finger in the hornet's nest of where Tucker and the, uh, where Hunter and the whole crowd were processing money all throughout Europe, and they got they got madder than could be and impeached the guy 72 hours before he was leaving anyway, just because they're so mad. So that if if you don't if you don't want to know who to vote for, that's enough to tell you right there. He's going to be teaching only tomorrow, so I'm going to give him some rest. Right? I get a lot of questions. You can ask him about your travel tomorrow. I do want to close by sharing this, Bob. You don't know this, but I was the mayor of the city of Thousand Oaks. They asked me to uh, come and participate in a breakfast for the Public Works Department, our largest uh, department in the city, largest amount of employees. And they asked me to speak. And I did first party, second party, third party purchase. Mm -hmm. uh. <laughs> <laughs> I shared with them all. And I said, you treat every expenditure like it's a first party purchase. Yep. And you're going to set a standard for this city the likes you've never seen. Mm -hmm. And it transformed the parks I mean, here, here. the public works department. And, and, and that was all I did was repeat. <laughs> People want to hear this. They want to see the principles. And they're willing to apply them as long as they're articulated clearly. And if I can remember it, so can you. And God will give you an opportunity to do it. And they were captivated. And I felt like I was really smart. <laughs> assembling Israel people who are the sweetest I have ever 